0: So, great big good morning to everyone. Great to have you joining us this morning. You know, here we are joining you from snowy southeastern Pennsylvania. It's wonderful to have you joining us. Again, we have some folks here joining us in our studio audience, and a big warm welcome to all of you joining us from all over the country, all different times of the day. It's wonderful to have you here. And and today, uh, I want to start with a question. I'm going to give you the context for the question. It's just a silly little one that you can text in and answer to me, you know, what percent of our DNA do we all share? What percent of DNA is just shared by the human race? So, so go ahead, you can shoot me a quick answer to that. I mean, my phone number's 215-740-3662. Again, you can text me at 215-740-3662. And, and I want to take that question, and we'll be coming back to it later on in the service, and it's to talk about this idea of how do we love anyways beyond our tribe, beyond our tribe. It's it's interesting as a pastor, you know, this this past week has has been interesting to watch and and just to see how things move and and change. And it was striking to me having a couple of people come in literally to have a pastoral conversation around how how challenged they are by how divided everything feels in in our world today. And that's interesting. That's worthy of note. And, and, and why is it, folks? Like, like, why do so many people feel just like, oh, this angst around that divisiveness? And, and that angst, I think, is because we all have underneath it a yearning. A yearning that, that there's, there's this way we can connect. A yearning that there's this bigger form of community beyond our tribes. And that's not to, say we, it's, it's not to say it's not important that we have different perspectives, that we have different views and that we, we share those. It's not to say that at all. It's to say that there's a yearning for a greater truth. There's a yearning for community where we're all welcome to bring all our perspectives together. That's true in the religious realm, that's true in communities, that's true in politics, that's true everywhere. It's even true with the Super Bowl. So how do we do that? It was interesting also this week, starting to feel people getting more into a rhythm of of visiting. I was blessed to get out with a number of congregants for different things. And again, if you're ever in town, if you're from out of town and you're in town and you want to get out, just let me know. We'd be glad to meet you for a meal. Or if you'd like to hop on a Zoom call because you just live too far away, be glad to do that as well. And just, you know, there's just these moments, and it's not even that the conversations necessarily have to always be life-changing that happens when we gather. Just the gathering in itself, somehow is a way to address that yearning. that yearning to connect, that yearning to move beyond our particular forms of loneliness into, into, into something that has this feeling, again, of greater truth. You know, join us today on that journey. Join us today in that conversation. Because I I think today, what I want to be sharing with people is this this beautiful idea. And think about this as the musicians come out. This beautiful idea that, that there's a humility there that's really thrilling. There's a humility there that actually will allow us to be surprised will allow us to hold life as an open field. That's what we want to talk about today. That's what we're going to share. And I want to close with this. Thank you for joining us in this community today that we call New Church Live. Welcome.
1: know that isn't known, nothing that is shown that isn't shown, no way you can be that isn't where you
0: but very goody. So so today, folks, we're we're talking again about this idea of loving anyways and loving beyond our tribe. And it it is such a beautiful part, I think, of of churches and synagogues and mosques and all kinds of different groups, is, is when we can live into this, it's amazing how we can find this place where this yearning somehow gets answered at least a little bit. Because church is so much beyond a, a binary thing of this or that, or at least it should be. And today I want to share with you about that, and, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a message that's deep on my heart. It's something I think a lot about, and I wonder a lot about, and I, I wonder what role we can all take, you know, as a church that's spread out all over. And just continuing to stand for this and promoting it and nurturing it, this idea of love, anyways. So it's not like this message is old. It's it's an ancient message. Goes back to Jesus. And and the message I want to talk about today is deals with Nicodemus. That's where I want to start. Nicodemus, this guy. So with Nicodemus, this is the beautiful part of the story. So. So Nicodemus was known as a Pharisee. He was a member of the clergy at that time. And, and it was a clergy that, that really thought they had all the keys to how, to how to connect with God. They had it all. They had all those keys. They knew it all. They had it all down, And that they were the gatekeepers, essentially, both in terms of who to let in and who to let out. And then there's this Jesus guy over here who keeps on saying, No, 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 no. The message is far different. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. Essentially, blessed are the broken. And so Nicodemus keeps on hearing this, and he he sneaks over at night, very famous Bible story, sneaks over at night, he he sneaks over to where Jesus is staying, and he says, Jesus, you know, I want to ask you a few questions. And and, uh, Jesus and him strike out a friendship that actually lasts throughout the entire gospel, which is indeed beautiful. And Jesus essentially says this, leave space for the God of surprises. Leave space for the God of surprises. Nicodemus' view, and I think, I think I know I can do this, I imagine many of us can do this, you know, we, we, we tend to circumscribe God into certain boxes. And what that does in essence, like think about this, folks, what that does in essence is it takes away God's freedom. That God can only act this way. He's not free to act as love would act. That's worthy of consideration, and so Jesus, to talk about this, this, sort of this idea of surprise, he offers this beautiful line, talking about how God works. This is from John 3, verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. Now, you've heard me say this many times. The word wind in the, in the New Testament, it could mean spirit, wind, or God. So you can interchange all of those. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I was thinking, folks, you know, maybe we should have like a big fan turned on right now so you could see my hair blow. Like that's gonna ever happen? But, but I love that idea, right? Like here it is. Like God's like the and it, you know don't please do not see Jesus as sour and dour. See Jesus as a ton of fun. And I just see Jesus going, look, dude, it's like the wind. You have no idea where it's coming from. You have no idea where it's going. If you look out a window, you're not going to see it. But you stand in it, you're sure as heck going to feel it. That's my modern translation of this line. Folks, do do you see why the gospel is such good news? Gospel literally means good news. Do you see why? Because here's Jesus going like, look, this is how it works. I guarantee, and we could, we could share this, you know, I guarantee that there was something this weekend where you were surprised at how the wind blew. A place where God sh- somehow showed up miraculously or, in, or, or through another person or in an activity, and it was just like, oh, there it is. There's that little God piece right there, that connection. And it is always fascinating, just a little aside, you know, how, how so much of it is in interactions with other people. I mean, that tells you a lot about the very nature of love right there. That idea, folks, that God is indeed everywhere. It, it You know, I, it, just even getting ready for this sermon, there was, there was a long part of, of being a pastor and, and for me being a being a Christian throughout my life, where I'm reading that, and I kind of used to read that, the wind thing, and with a little little bit of sourness, like, oh, my goodness, God's the wind. I don't know when he's going to come and get me. (laughs) I don't know where he's going to show up. And that's not it at all. I think it's not, where is he going to show up? I think, hey, you don't know where God's going to show up. Very different approach to this. Now here's Nicodemus, and this stir- story is like 30 AD. Like Jesus is around 30 years of age, is best we can tell when he shares this story. Fast forward. 50 years. 80 AD. 80 AD, there's this, there's this again, this rabbi, he's, he's by the name of Saul, he eventually changes his name to Paul. He's riding his horse on the road to Damascus, very famously Uh, He has a vision. Jesus appears to him and changes his life there and then. And again, here's Saul learning the same thing, the same exact thing that Nicodemus had learned 50 years before. That I think we need to continue to learn today in 2022. And it's interesting, you you don't see the exact same language, but you definitely see the same theme. This is from 1 Corinthians 10. And and Paul, you know, he'd been raised in a system where where even down to the dietary law, even down to dietary law, like your, your physical diet, how you ate, how you set up a plate, all of that was a way to figure out who could enter into God's kingdom or who could not. That there were dietary requirements. Now there's a real, I want to offer a little aside. There's, there's, you know, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs talks about actually how powerful that can be because it's the idea that you can even find God in how you eat. That's a positive spin on it. So Paul here is talking about when we actually weaponize that. We used that word last week. When we actually weaponize that idea of, of dietary requirements. And somehow that that's what God is looking for. And folks, when, when you hear this, just, just you know, I, I mean, it may sound strange. Like, well, I don't have any dietary requirements for how God shows up in my life. But, but do you have other requirements? Do you have other things where it's like, God can only show up like this? And guess who gets to define what this is? Do you have those other places? Or can you somehow open the field a little bit? That's what this is talking about. So let me read to you 1 Corinthians 10. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. Take part in the meal with thankfulness. Like I just, want to, I just want, to, want to just start with that. Like, it's a beautiful line. Like Paul's saying, like, look, if they put something in front of you that culturally you've been raised to know you're not to eat, like, eat it anyways and not only eat it, but do it with thankfulness. Boy, that's a beautiful line. You know, that idea that we're to approach these things, we're to approach life, we're to approach other people, we're to approach other cultures, we're supposed to approach other communities, other people with gratitude. With a deep and abiding gratitude. The passage goes on, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And and the word glory actually, and I like this definition much better, the word glory could actually be defined celebration. You know, the idea that God is looking down at that table and he's seeing you trying to eat that thing that you're not usually used to eating and and God's just celebrating that. Like that is the celebration of God. It's, it's, It's a very powerful concept of table fellowship again. Jesus is always, this is a reminder for all of us, for all of us. Jesus is incredibly interested in table fellowship. He's incredibly interested in who we eat with, not what do we eat. And the bigger that table is, the bigger I think God's joy is, the more the celebration is. The more it becomes, this is what God is asking of us. And the last part of it, do not make anyone stumble over the rules. Again, and that gets to that trusting versus testing. There's a whole sermon there we won't do right now. Whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved, and you could use the word healed there. But the good of many. Just imagine that, right? Just relax into that for a second. A table fellowship where what's really being served, quote unquote, is gratitude, is celebration is this idea, folks, of many. And that in that many, that's where we start to find a level of healing. That's where we start to find a level of healing. That's that yearning I think we're asked to step into. That's that movement from my tribe to our community. Now, again, I'm going to come back to this a number of times. It doesn't mean we're not asked to stand for things or to have perspectives or values or certain things that we want to be really clear about. That's not what it's saying. It's saying we're to bring that to the table and to welcome everyone else, bringing their perspectives to the table as well. Because the table somehow is the win, not the rightness. I want to say that again. The table somehow becomes the win, not the rightness. So, so folks, what is, what's the challenge? Like, what is the challenge? And, and the challenge I'd ask you to think about is this. The challenge, and this, is, this I got from, uh, from an author I really enjoy, David Brooks. And he, he said the challenge is this word, essentialism. The challenge is what we believe is, is we believe that we have gotten down what is the essential characteristics of all other groups. And that, and that pattern-making in our mind, like for humanity, we make those judgments, those patterns, really quickly. Like even, I was listening to an author yesterday. He said those pattern, that pattern-making process in our minds, I'm going to come back to this in a few weeks, takes place even faster than conscious thought you will have a judgment about another person before you even realize you've thought to have a judgment about another person. I imagine you know that to be true. And it actually takes a little bit of work to pull that back. Essentialism says these two things. It says that there's two, there's two basic parts, and it's, it's where, again, where essentialism gets tricky. It defines an us. And the challenge with the defining the us is that it believes that we have more in common than we actually do. And then a challenge of the them, that they are more different than they actually are, more different from us than they actually are. Think about where this might be true in your life. I, I know for me, I, I, I struggle a little bit sometimes when, when this sounds silly, but... But I I love being a pastor. It's a great job, and and yet I don't want to be pigeonholed as Chuck the pastor, you know? I want to have a beer, eat bad food, and watch the Super Bowl today. I want to do all those three things. So we have to be really careful, you know, believing that, that even people within our tribe are a certain thing. And that we all share completely in common every single perspective. I can tell you as pastor of this wonderful church that is spread across the country, we do not <laughs> share absolute 100% agreement on 100% of topics. We do not. Amen. And it's, it's so true about other people, too, with, with this essentialism, is that We can believe that with the them, that they, whoever they are, are actually more different from us than that they might actually be. Here's here's a way to think of it. Again, we're going to come back to this in a a couple of weeks. You know, if you make make a little box, like just make a little box there, right? Just make a little box. We kind of set up two boxes in our heads. One is, and and again, we're coming, we're going to do a whole sermon on this because I think it's really important. One is called deficit framing, where we set up a little box, and in that box, we put down all the deficits, and the deficits tend to lean towards them, whoever them is. Boy, that was grammatically butchered right there. And then we have this box over here, and this is the asset framing. And this tends to be where we place us. And there's a challenge with that, right? We can do that communally, and we can do that with people, too. You know that these are all their deficits, and and there's somewhere down the road, yeah, sure, they have a few assets, but let me tell you about all this. Anytime the conversation leans to this part, we're missing it. It doesn't mean that we don't have deficits. It doesn't mean that certain communities or certain groups don't have deficits or blind spots. They absolutely do. It's about how do we start from an asset perspective and then start to look at those areas that come up short. I mean, folks, you think about the people who you're most likely to hear criticism from. I guarantee, for the most part, it's those who you just trust love you, have your best interest in mind, who may simply know this. This is like, let this sink in. There's somebody in here watching online or in our studio audience who really needs to hear this. Someone who looks at you with the eyes of their heart and knows that you're trying your very best They know that you're trying your very best. I think those are the kind of people we're willing to hear from in terms of the changes that that life might be calling us to. Because if we don't do that, folks, with with the deficit categories, what we do is we kind of like we create a container and we take them, whoever them is, and we sort of stuff them into this scary container. And you could fill in the blank here. You know, I have things in my mind I think about where, where I see that. And, and we're going to talk next week about how you know the, how the role of faith can actually sometimes be pretty detrimental with this. But I think all our communities can do this. We can, take, we can take this piece, these people, and just instead of allowing them to be people, allowing them to be people, allowing them to be people, We make them a scary category. That's not what God is asking of us here. That, I think, was a big part of the lesson to both Nicodemus and Paul. Now, how do we find our way out of that? Well, I think so much is is just understanding. Again, like the... the the good parts of of other people. This this idea that, that so much of what we share, when it gets down to humanity at a very deep level, we share so many of the same aspirations. So many of the same aspirations. If you put in your mind right now someone who you really feel like the relationship is really struggling right now, And you can breathe for a minute, not rush to judgment, not rush to that pattern, not rush to the scary category, but just take a little breath and just think for a minute, what do you imagine their best aspirations are? What do you think? That, to me, seems to create a, a, a soft place where, where again, where, where a mixing takes place that is incredibly beautiful. I love, I love this idea, folks, that, that if it was, if we could physically like, capture it, what would it physically look like? That maybe it would look like this. And this is a fun word to pronounce. I like fun words to pronounce. The word estuary. Do we know what an estuary is? Estuary is where the land and the sea meet. It's not that the land's trying to become the sea or the sea's trying to become the land or anything like that. It's, it's, it's one of the most fertile parts of our ecosystem where land and water meet. It's this estuary. It's this, it's this great mixing that takes place. It's, it's where I think there can be this, this idea of the good news in a different way. The estuary, friends, the estuary. What if the estuary was the new essentialism? What if we held that as, as the real essential thing that, that God is asking of us to live in that kind of space? Again, a space... Where, where there's this conversation and it's moved beyond our tribe into community. And that's where we start to live. Now I do need to say, it was, it was interesting sneak peeking at, at some, of the, uh, some of the different text messages that I got about the answer to what percent of DNA DNA do we, do we share. Uh, people got it right actually, which is, which is pretty fun. Um, one, it's kind of interesting, one person wrote, we are 98.9% the same DNA as a chimp, and 60% the same as a banana. Gotta love that. And the other answers I got were literally 99%, and I will tell you that is the correct answer, 99.9%. 99.9%. Let's hold that in perspective. It's interesting, when we were looking at aspirations, I was talking with Marcus, who was our sound guy here before the service, and I read a study, and this, this study had said, we share, and I forget what the percentage was, it was over, we share over 90% of the same aspirations. And Marcus said something I thought that was really profound. Marcus, I'm gonna ask you to shout it out. Marcus, what percent did you counter me with? 100% of us want to be happy. You know, it's not 99%. It's actually, you know, it's, there's this 100%. Like we all want to find that happiness in life. We all have that yearning, that yearning to find home. And aside, an important one that should maybe soften us a little bit is this as well. And I've said this before in church, but it just it bears repeating those people in our lives who may be struggling with cynicism, they may actually be the most idealistic people you know. And they just feel let down. Even that person who appears cynical may actually have a deep idealism to them, may have a deep aspiration to them a deep way they feel called to make some sort of difference out there in the world. What do we end up here f- with, folks? Well, I, I think with this. We end up with the world, and it was interesting how this works, where we're much, op- much more open to other people, but it's, but it's coming from this true north of a spiritual perspective. It's not just like, a am just open to anybody, whatever that means. It's it's coming from an embrace of love because that's what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to embrace the world in love, from love, with love. Which means openness. I mean, it's interesting. We We did a little social media survey, and in the social media survey, we asked people, uh, have you learned something from a surprising source, from someone you did not expect to learn something from? And guess what answer we got? 100% of the people who survey, who answered that survey said yes. That's where it can get to, is surprise. Jesus, Nicodemus. I think Jesus, when he talks about the wind, he's saying, Nicodemus, learn to be surprised. Learn to be surprised. What we end up with there, folks, is, is, is as one author put it, and I love the way, these words, well, the way they use these words, you know, humility and thrilling. And this, this author said, well, you know what we're gonna end up with is a thrilling humility. A thrilling humility. Even just looking at that word, right? Like, notice it's not humiliation. Like, there's nothing about this game that we call life that should ever be about humiliation. Humiliating of others, humiliating other people. It's about this thrilling humility where things actually start to open up. Listen to this beautiful quote, folks. This is from Greg Jones. And I would tell you to take, a, take a, a screenshot, or if you're in our studio audience today, get a picture of this with your phone. Only humble people can suspend their own will in order to pay attention to the will of others. And only humble people, this, guys, this is so important. Please just really let this settle in deeply. Only humble people are trusted to do something radical new, radically new, with something deeply treasured. Taking a, cultivation, taking a posture of cultivation rather than preservation. I want to read that one more time so those just listening in podcast form can hear it because I think it's so beautiful. Only humble people can suspend their own will in order to pay attention to the will of others. And only humble people are trusted to do something radically new with something deeply treasured. Taking a posture of cultivation rather than preservation. I think, folks, what does that do? Well, there's a part of me that wonders. Like, a lot of us, we feel like, oh, God's calling us to do something, calling us to do something. He's moving us forward. What what can we do? How can we serve? And if we can come from from a position of humility, those questions will get answered. We come from a position of humility, those questions will get answered. Because, in the end, as this wonderful far side cartoon says, it's time we face reality, my friends. We're not exactly rocket scientists. <laughs> I like that. Because we're not, we're human beings. We're human beings. This, folks, this this humility, it dances with the belief, and this is important. This humility creates this beautiful dance where we dance with the belief, listen to this, that we can help each other. Not fix each other. That's not a humble thing to be. But this gentle dance, this gentle dance, that we can actually help each other out. Now, that's a lighter form to look at it, and, and there is sort of a heavier way to look at it as well. I'm gonna sit down over here. Many of you know that one of, my, one of my favorite books, I mean, there's many, many wonderful books out there, and this one is a heavier topic. It's called Eichmann in My Hands, and it's about the story of Adolf Eichmann. You can Google that and get the whole story. And, and at, the end of the, at the end of the book, The author comes to make several pretty profound points about the nature of good and the nature of evil after having talked with Eichmann, this man who was the mastermind of the Holocaust. Uh, You know, sort of the guy who organized it, I should say. And and he's talking to him and he's, he's trying to get this idea of what exactly was going on, like how could this happen? What was going on in his head that he could justify this? And, a, and aside to that is that, that Wan-C, the Wannsee conference, where they, this is me being a history geek for a second, you know, the Wannsee conference where they had sort of decided, where the Nazi leadership had decided on the Holocaust, cost you know, I think it was either just a little under half or a little over half of the people who sat around the, the table and made that decision, had their PhDs. Highly educated. Highly, highly educated. And so, again, this author in the book, I clean My Hands, he wants to peel that away, because obviously education wasn't the issue. Like, what was going on that, that, that allowed this to happen? And this is a quote that he had that I loved. He said, self-certainty born of absolute power is extremely dangerous. Self-certainty born of absolute power is extremely dangerous. That idea, folks, when we're so into, you know, so like you know, doubling down on our self-certainty. That's a dangerous place to be. It doesn't mean we don't have these values that we stand for. It doesn't mean we don't have these things that we believe. What it does mean is that know that other people believe other things. And the most important belief we can have is this idea of welcome. This idea of togetherness. This deep idea of community. This deep idea of that it's not just about one chair sitting with one perspective, it's about many chairs. Many different ways to connect. How can we do that? Like, how does that look? Well, to me, folks, and then we're going to go into our song here, to me, it looks like the work of the God of surprises.
1: if it don't come true, dreaming is what dreamers do. Heaven's keys on green to blue are never gray. Even if it all goes bust, your pretty pearls all fade to rust. Angels wing to angel dust every day. Worry no more. Oh, worry no more. No for you Where you know through the clouds bottles break in angry crowds Lion tamers can't be found anywhere listen to the sounds of Mars Spanish sketches playground smiles crowded streets and empty vials for all to share. where no more where we no more oh, Open door for you. Where you know, oh, where you know, there's an open door.
2: Live, it's Angela, and I just wanted to let you know about a really easy way to stay involved and up to date about things going on at New Church Live. Oftentimes, people ask me how they hear about things going on, and one easy way to do that is to subscribe to our weekly e newsletter, and you can do that on our website if you go to the homepage at www.NewChurchLive.tv. If you scroll to the bottom, there's a place to sign up for updates, and that will automatically sign you up for our weekly newsletter. It usually comes out on Wednesdays, um, and it has everything going on at New Church Live, um, and a blog from Pastor Chuck, and it's just a great way to stay plugged in and connected. So I'd encourage you all to consider signing up for that newsletter. Um, And if you have any questions, you can always um, contact me and I will help you do that. So thanks, everyone.
0: Thank you, Angela. And, you know, folks, I want to, you know, what a beautiful song, right? You know, worry no more. There's an open door for you. Let's just breathe with that for a second. Worry no more. There's an open door for you. There's this beautiful line, right, in in the Bible where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice, I will open the door and come in and sup with them and they with me. Beautiful Bible line. Well, this is how I imagine it. Much, much fun way of imagining it. So I think Jesus does. He knocks at the door all the time. And he says, hey, can you open the door? Worry no more, there's an open door for you. And he opens the door and, and he comes in and there's, there's sort of a private salvation model that's like, Jesus is here in my life, this is all good. And this is what I think Jesus does. I think that's part of it, but I also think this. I also think Jesus opens the door, enters, says, I, I'm coming in to have supper with you and I'd love for you to meet my friends. I got a whole pack of people here who want to get to know you and who you are going to want to get to know. That's the community we're talking about. See, you are love, a finite form of love, granted, in this life, but you are love, be that thing, share that, live it. Work on the experience of that and the experience of connection, not the judgment of others. A new kind of essentialism, a new kind of thrilling humility. What we're going to do now, folks, is I'm going to offer a prayer. And then after the prayer, we're going to close the service with another beautiful, beautiful, Meditation led by Allie. So please join me in a prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. And thank you for the fact that we get to experience this as always together, whether online or here. Help us, Lord, to understand those humble ways, that deep humility that's open to others and open to you and help us, Lord, to live more and more into that image and likeness of love. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace and bring you home. Amen.
3: Good morning, thank you for the music. He's right on cue. Um, This meditation is um, about humility and it came from two different places. One is my favorite meditation teacher, Sarah Blondin. I used some of her words or quotes, so I wanna give a big shout out to her. And, And then my own process of learning to meet God in the mornings. I am a very visual person, so I hope you enjoy it. Uh, So close your eyes, and I want you to meet your breath. I want you to take in a breath. However long or short or deep or shallow it is, just notice it. Now as you're breathing, I want you to notice that maybe there's something breathing you. And I wanna take you on a little walk. You're in these grassy, hilly mountains. And as you're coming down on a path, alongside a mountain, there's a beautiful valley to your right. And to your left there's a cliffside. It's all grassy, covered with moss, and you come across this little hobbit door that's round. And I want you to open that door and go inside. And there's god sitting at this beautiful table with a fire and something, something smelling good. And as you sit down across the table from God, you see the warmth and love that's radiating toward you. And you feel safe. Come in, sit down. You begin to share, you share your winnings, your losses, your heartaches, your habits and your tired, worn out ways of being you wish you could change. It's all at the table between you and God. This is humility, being with it all and learning to love and accept it all. You can feel the gratitude for your courage extending from your creator. He grabs your cheeks and kisses your forehead, wrapping you in light and love that pours down through your face, into your neck, into your heart, down your arms, through your stomach and legs, into the ground beneath you. You realize you thought you needed punishment when you really needed help. You realized you deprived yourself of love in the places you needed it most. You can feel the acceptance of all your brilliance and all your failings. It's all important. And God looks at you tenderly and says, nothing's lost in my economy. You are being transformed. You see the light within you swirling like the galaxy in the darkness. You are loved in all your shadows and all your stages. You are human, my dear one. My dearest love, you are human. You are allowed to be both ways. You are allowed to be. You are not wrong. You are not damaged. You are not failing because you still get lost in dark rivers. You are human. Change nothing about your life except the amount of love you give yourself. May you have reverence for it all and let that extend to all the people around you now and whom you love. So take a deep breath. Feel your breathing. Feel the expanse. And welcome any contracting that shows up. Love that space in you. And don't judge it. Feel your hands. And put them on your heart. and say thank you. All right. Wiggle your feet as you wake up out of this meditation and welcome the song that's to come.
2: my way through the darkness guided by a beating heart I can't tell where the journey will end but I know where to start tell me I'm too young to understand They say I'm caught up in a dream but life will pass me by if I don't open All this time I was finding myself And I didn't know I was lost tried carrying the weight of the world but I only have two hands I hope I get the chance to travel the world but I don't have any plans I wish that I could stay forever this young have opened up my eyes life's a game big for everyone I didn't know I was lost, didn't know I was lost. I, didn't know I was lost.
3: I didn't know I was lost. Thank you.